Boy, can we thank Glenn one more time for just sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Glenn. That is so true. We're not strong enough, and it's good to be back here at church. And I was attending church, just not for service too early. I don't know how you guys do it, but it's good to uh, be here. And if you're new, you're probably wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, I actually went on a three-week sabbatical. It's a, it's a time of rest. Uh, I'm getting older, so I need to rest more. And that's, that's more for uh, me being able to do what God has called me to do. And like all of us, we all need to rest. Amen? Yeah, some of you guys are going crazy all night long and all of that. But some of you actually did the Relay for Life yesterday, and you might be here this morning. So you're like diehard fans this morning, and you're here. But thank God that you're able to do so. Uh, but just uh, being on a three-week rest, I was able to at least get my voice back. My voice was actually going out. Uh, I don't have uh, porogi, so I don't have that extra power that I need. Uh, but I, I got to rest a little bit. And uh, just to let you know, attending this church, uh, it's unbelievable. I love coming here. In fact, before my wife and I, uh, Heidi, when she, we made the decision to attend the church, I asked her, I said, so, so where do you want to attend? She said, what do you mean, where are we going to attend? We're going to our home church. And I said, okay, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to rest and, 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 and uh, uh, try not to be up there as, as much. And she said, no, that's our home church. And uh, she said, that's the best church. And, and she said, but you know, all churches that preach Jesus are good. But she said, it's the people that make it the best. And so I agree. I miss you guys. And I'm so thankful that you got to um, uh, still hear the word of God. Uh, when I was on that uh, sabbatical, we had uh, different pastors speak with us and, and some different speakers. In fact, Berna Pacheco spoke on Father's Day. So I want to say thank you to Berna. I'm not sure if she's here this morning, but uh, they might be at another church right now because there are district supervisors. And so Berna spoke on Father's Day and why dads are the greatest and, and talking about how we are supposed to lead the family. And then uh, Pastor Charlie spoke, and I'm not sure if you were here, but he spoke about res uh, resolving anger. And boy, if you missed that one, we all need that. And then Pastor Aaron spoke about uprooting bitterness. And that's a tough one because believe it or not, many of us carry bitterness and it actually poisons us. Uh, and then, of course, following that, Pastor Alex spoke about the sting of an offense, and he brought up about how we need to have self-control, and that is a good one, too. So if you've missed the past couple of weeks, uh, you can pick up the CDs in our bookstore, the DVDs, or you can go online, and you can view the past services and kind of catch up. Uh, it's really, really good, and I'm so thankful that we have people that can preach the Word of God in such a way that we can understand you see, it's never the person speaking that's the most important. I mean, although that's important, who's preaching the word, because it must be a godly, a godly word that's being proclaimed. It's really the listener that's important. Because sometimes you'll think, well, I don't know, I can't re receive from that person or I can't relate to that person. But really, get past the person and then listen for the voice of God. Because that's who we really want to listen to. So can we say thank you to all our pastors and then those who spoke, Bernard speaking. 
I also want to say thank you to the staff of New Hope. You know, they keep the ship going and, and did an outstanding job with me being gone. And I'm trying to get back in the groove. You know, I came back this week and trying to figure out things to do. And it's not like I'm not doing anything, but just trying to, you know, get back into that routine. Even this morning, with we did, you know, mic checks and all that. I, I forgot what to do. And it's, for me, it's been a long time. Have you ever been out of church for one week and you come back, you feel like you're the new person? Or if you don't come for a couple of months or a year and then you come back, you feel like you're the new person and, and you don't know how to kind of settle in. Well, that's kind of how it feels. But I'm so thankful for the staff who has done an outstanding job. Also, I want to say thank you to all the volunteers. If you volunteer here at New Hope, I am so grateful Because what you do for Jesus Christ allows people to get to know Him as Lord and Savior. Sometimes we can run into a rut, like a routine, and you just serve and serve. And after a while, you feel like you're burning out. You feel like uh, you're just doing the motion. But understand who you serve. You serve the King of Kings. That everything that we do for Him does not go unseen. That He uses everything for His purpose. And so those that serve in the nursery, in our life stage area, in the kitchen, the parking lot, poor guys, man, after service, when, when all of us leave at the same time, you know, they have to direct traffic and then bring in people. Uh, we have people behind the scenes praying, all our prayer people. And so thank you to all the volunteers. And if you're a volunteer and you're sitting in this service, I want to say thank you so much for serving Jesus Christ. Uh, the worship team and the praise singers, I'm so thankful for them. So thank you for serving. Give yourselves an applause for that. Thank you. I know you saw the video with the sports camp and uh, those that served at the sports camp. Thank you so much too. Uh, Dr. Robin was talking about the save to save. Uh, We didn't even start the message yet. So I'm just letting you know, you know, I came back from all this time and I'm talking all kinds of stuff, but just listen. Uh, we're, we're finalizing our courtyard and our courtyard is so that we can have ministries and especially when we have like our Easter services or our special services uh, that we have our overflow in our, our fellowship hall. Our courtyard is so that ministry can take place. And we've been doing something called Save to Save that we're going to save of our finances, our resources so that we can give towards this building Uh, this structure so that someone might get saved. And that's the whole heart behind it. It's not just to cover us from the rain, but it's so that people can find Jesus Christ. A lot of ministries take place under there and a lot of relationships are built under there. And so we want to design it in such a way that that it's it's done well, uh, that it's safe, and that it does keep us from the rain uh, and then gives us some good shade so that we can have fellowship time and, and talk story. Uh, But Heidi and I have been saving and we're putting away finances so that when we give toward the end of the year, it will probably be maybe September around that time uh, that we'll give uh, toward this, that we'll be able to build it and then finalize it. And it'll be so wonderful. Our kids will enjoy it because there's some things that we're doing for the kids and it's secret. So uh, because we're still working on some things. I can't say secret, right, Henry, in a thing like this. Yeah. Okay, uh, but that's kind of what's going on, so thank you so much, and we're going to dive right into our message. And so take out your bulletins, we're continuing in our series, When God Moves. When God moves, there's certain things that happen, and a lot of it has to do with us, His people, or those who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Because when God does something, everyone should notice. 
And sometimes God does certain things and we don't take notice of it. But God moves all the time. See, He's the kind of God that when He speaks, things come into existence. When He spoke, there was light. When He spoke, the earth came into being. The universe came into being. When God moves, things happen. Have you ever lost something that did not belong to you? Let's just say as a parent, you lost something that belonged to your child. What would you do? Well, I'm sure it depends on what it is. But what if you were the child and you lost something that belonged to your parents? Would there be a difference? As a parent, do you think it's different when you lose something? The consequences of you losing something from your kids? Let's just say you borrowed their, I don't know, maybe their computer or their, their uh, iPod or some kind of a electrical gadget. And you lost it. How your kids would feel. Or if it was vice versa. Do you think there's a difference of consequences? How many of you say, yes, there would be a difference of consequences? Raise your hand. You think, yes. How many of you say, no, it would be the same consequence? Raise your hand. (laughs) Not many of you would be grounded by your parents, right? I think for us, you know, as parents, when our kids lose something of ours, it's a major difference than them losing something of ours. In fact, one of my friends was telling me that that they lost something that belonged to her son. And her son said, oh, mom, do you have, and I think it was like a little camera. And and he said, oh, do you have my camera? And she said, oh, yeah, it's somewhere. And they couldn't find it. They couldn't find it for the longest time. And she said, you know, I don't know, it, it should turn up somewhere. And then that was it. And then we were talking about something and then, Uh, She was giving me a story and then I said, well, haven't you done something that was a mistake with your kids? And then she said, oh my goodness, you didn't know what happened a couple of weeks ago. I lost my son's camera. And I said, "And, and what happened? And she said, nothing. I just, you know, we couldn't find it. And then she said this. She said, I felt like I disrespected him because I wasn't even remorse about it. And so she goes home and then she actually tells her son, sorry. She says, mommy is sorry that I lost your camera and I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't care about it. But I just kind of brushed it on the side. And this is what her son said. And I, and I, I learned from this. He said, you know, I was hurt when you didn't even tell me sorry. It's kind of like you didn't care about me. And then he said this, which struck her. He said, what if I lost your phone? And I thought, oh, that's dirty lickings, that's grounded. But that's what happens sometimes. And she said this. She said they got to talk about some things and then their relationship got better. And she said, boy, you you don't believe the power of an apology. See, an apology can be defined as humbly coming to someone else, making it right with another. Humbling yourself so that you can make make things right with another person. It can also be described as, in the dictionary, as, as an admission of error or discourtesy. Discourtesy accompanied by an expression of regret. Now, what makes an apology powerful? 
Because we've heard the same word over and over from certain people, and they do the same thing over and over. They'll say, I'm sorry, do the same thing. I'm sorry, do the same thing. And, then, and after a while, you're saying, I'm tired of your sorries. What makes an apology so powerful? It's this one word, and the Bible calls it forgiveness. That's the power of an apology. It's that one action, forgiveness. But did you know that forgiveness is just as difficult as it was back in those days, in Jesus' days, as it is today? It was just as difficult. Forgiveness is not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, we can forgive someone for like, you know, if they, you know, step on our foot or something and, and, and healing takes place. We can forgive someone when they said something wrong and it wasn't that bad. It wasn't deep of a, that deep of a hurt. Maybe they teased us, our team lost or something, and ah, I forgive them. Or they made a mistake, easy to forgive. But what about those deep-rooted hurts that continue to linger on inside? Or that we don't think it's deep, but because we have not dealt with it, it keeps digging and digging and digging until it's a deep wound. And the people have gone on. They've done whatever they need to do, but you're still dealing with this unforgiveness. Or what can be even worse is that we've done something to someone else and we've never made things right. And we justify our behavior. We say, no, it was because they did this. And so we justify our behavior. See, the power of an apology is forgiveness. See, without forgiveness, an apology... It's just words. It can be just words. But forgiveness changes the whole dynamic of the power of an apology. You know, when Jesus was walking the earth, the custom of the Jews was that they would not ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness no more than three times. Three times meant that you were kind of like holy. You... you you were a good person. You could ask for forgiveness or receive forgiveness, give out forgiveness and forgive people, and it was fine. Peter, one of the disciples, asked Jesus this question. And I thought, wow, Peter kind of went over and beyond on this one. He kind of came to Jesus with some strength and, and want, maybe wanted to impress Jesus. And he says this, and it's in your notes, Matthew eighteen twenty one. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. And I thought, I wonder, you know where that comma is? Where Jesus says, you know, I don't, I don't say to you up to seven times, and then there's that comma, that little pause there. I wonder if in Peter's mind he was thinking, oh, not up to seven times. Well, I asked seven times because, you know, I'm kind of holy. So I'm the one that always asks for forgiveness. I'm the one that always says I'm sorry. So maybe Jesus is going to say after, no, not seven times. Peter, you're so holy. Peter, why seven times? You don't have to do seven times. What a good man you are. Seven times. Wow, Peter, you're unbelievable. But then Jesus continues. He says, no, 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 Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven and I could feel the air kind of being let out of Peter, like, oh, how much is that? 490 times. Wait, no, is that right? Somewhere around there. Many, many times. You know what Jesus was saying? There is no limit to forgiveness. There's no limit. Because 
Forgiveness has more to do with the relationship than it has to do with the issue of who was right and who was wrong. It's the relationship. Forgiveness means to let go. That's what it means. It means to let go, to keep no longer, to disregard. Because it's a choice that we make to forgive. Like Kenol was saying during worship, that God chooses to no longer remember our sins. He lets it go. He disregards it. Peter chooses more than double what was deemed as enough. Let me rewind the tape a little bit in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve and they had their son Cain, their two sons, Cain and Abel. Remember Cain got angry at Abel and then he actually killed his brother. And then there was a, there was a proclamation that went out for Cain, that he was accountable for killing his brother Abel. And his consequence was that he was cursed from the earth, and anyone who tried to harm him, vengeance would be given to that person sevenfold. So that was the, that was the idea behind leaving him alone. That anyone who messed around with him would be cursed sevenfold. But Cain's great-great-great-grandson Lamech does the very same thing that Cain did. But... He now uses this unlimited forgiveness as a license now to justify his behavior. In Genesis 4.24, Lamech says this. He says, well, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So you know what Lamech was saying is, is well, then if, if, if this is the case with forgiveness and, and that that whoever tries to do anything against me shall be cursed sevenfold, then might as well keep doing what I'm doing because there's forgiveness. Might as well keep doing what I'm doing because I said I'm sorry. I made things right. I did everything and I'm trying my very best. And so he began to use that as a license. See, forgiveness or an apology with that forgiveness attached to it is more than just trying to sweep something under the rug. You know what forgiveness is for? Forgiveness is not for proving someone right or wrong. Forgiveness is so that we can start the healing process. That's what forgiveness is for. That's why Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know what he was starting? He was starting a healing process between mankind and God. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. It's not so that that we just move on, but it's so that we can be healed and restored. And one day we'll be able to move on. But I understand it's a process. For many of us, there's a deep hurt and we want vengeance. We want justice. We want something to be done. But the book of Romans tells us in Romans 12, 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if you've been struggling with forgiveness, unforgiveness, just know this. God will do a much better job than we can. And it can almost feel good 
Like, yeah, God, you have a better, you'll do a much better job with this vengeance because I don't want to be evil because I'm holy. I'm a Christian. But if you do it, then you'll do it righteously evil. And we can't do that. But God himself does not do evil. But he does take care of his people. You see, his vengeance, we may think of it as, yeah, yeah, go get them. And God is saying, no, no, I have a plan and a purpose for their life. It's not the kind of vengeance we understand. It's a different kind of vengeance. It's actually a righteous vengeance, if you can even put those two words together. Because with, with God, it's that his wrath is that righteous anger, that indignation. You know what the Bible is telling us? The Bible is telling us for us to get out of the way so that God can do His work. Sometimes we want things done our way and we get in the way of God. But He's saying, no, vengeance is mine. I got it. I got it down. And what we want to do is learn how to release God's healing capabilities through the power of an apology and forgiveness. And for some of us, if we're taking notes, the first thing we got to do is get our hearts right with God. And you can write that in. Get my heart aligned with God first. You see, when it comes to an apology or, or forgiveness, it's a difficult thing. It takes a lot out of us to even say, I'm sorry to someone. It's a difficult thing. Especially if you grew up in a home that, you know, an apology wasn't something you threw around. Or if, you know, no one ever said, I'm sorry to you. Maybe your parents and they just kind of let it go and too bad kind of thing. That's the way life is. It's a difficult thing to kind of muster up that courage to say, I am sorry, or I apologize. Because we liken an apology with right and wrong. Now, there's times, there's, a, there's, there's certain circumstances that, yes, I did something wrong and I own up to my mistake. But that's not what an apology and forgiveness is all about. It's not about a right or wrong, although it has some to do with that. It has more to do with res- restoration and healing. That healing needs to take place because emotions will come in. And once our emotions get us, oh boy, that's, it's like a done deal. You know, when, like, like if you come home from work and something hasn't been done, let's just say your kids are supposed to do their chores and you come home and every single day, same thing. Why do I always have to tell you, do your chores? Why can't you just do the chores? Why, why do I have to tell it to you every single day? Just do the thing. And then our emotions get the best of us. And we'll probably correct them or snap or say some things that, that uh, would bring that discipline. But emotions will get the best of us. Not everything will go our way. And sometimes things will happen. Moses, back in the, in the Old Testament, if you read, Moses dealt with probably one of the most let down times of his life. Remember Moses was given that uh, that assignment to, to lead God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land. That was Moses' assignment. And so Moses is on, the, he's on the mission to lead God's people out of slavery into the promised land. Well, along the way, they wander in the wilderness for about 40 years. But during that time, there was an instant where, where Moses got angry. Because the people were continuously complaining. He got angry, he got frustrated... And when God called Moses to bring forth water from the rock, he got angry. 
And instead of doing what God told him to do, in his anger, he still obeyed God, but in anger. And instead of striking the rock once, he struck it multiple times. Because of that one act of his emotion getting the best of him, Moses did not enter the promised land. And God even told Moses, because of this, you're not going to enter the promised land. You can see it from a distance, but you will not enter. How many of you would just cop out? You'd say, fine then, lead your own people. You do it. All this time with all these people grumbling, all I did was bring water from the rock. Yeah, I was mad a little bit, but who wouldn't be mad? I'm leading 2.5 million people and they're not listening. So yeah, I'm going to get mad. But there was something there that, that was a lesson for Moses. He didn't trust God. And he let his emotions get the best of him. Forgiveness, unforgiveness will do that. It'll let your emotions get the best of you. And we won't see the promises of God. In Deuteronomy 4.39, Moses is saying this. and Listen to the heart behind it. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven, above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. See, Moses, after that incident, made sure that his heart was right with God. He still aligned his heart with God. How many of us, after an incident or a blow-up or even a, a miscommunication of some kind, we just forget it. We break the relationship off and it's done. And we say, forget it. If they want to act like that, let them go and then so be it. Sometimes we even do that with God himself. Things don't go our way and we shut God out. Things happen in our lives and we say, fine then, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to even bother with church. I'm not going to go. Who do you think you're kidding? Do you think, now, I'm, I'm trying to be um, real about this, okay? Because people will miss you. But after a while, after a while, if you think that just because you don't, you don't attend church, that everything's going to fall apart, you're wrong. Not everything falls apart, except one thing, you. When we distance ourselves from God and the things of God, then we actually start to decay from the inside out, all because of our hearts not being aligned with God. And unforgiveness starts to brew up. Bitterness sets in. Our emotions get the best of us. And he says, consider it in your heart. Return or come back to the heart of things, your seat of your emotions. He's saying nothing else should be God in your heart. Not your emotions, not the incident, not the other person, not a reward, nothing else. It should be God himself. Because when my emotions lead me, I am more vulnerable to make permanent decisions based on emotions that will pass away. See, the emotions will come and then they'll go. But if I start to make permanent decisions on these passing emotions, I ruin what God is doing for my life. I'm here on this track and then all of a sudden, I take this on and then I switch gears and I shifted to another trail, another path. And I make a permanent decision based on these passing emotions. It'll go away. The emotions will go away. 
But once I make that switch, now I have this unforgiveness residing in my heart that only goes away by choice. And everybody else is doing their own thing. They're doing fine. We've got to rely on our heart back with the Lord. I heard this on, on probably like a, 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 either with someone here or something on TV, I'm not sure. But, but they said this, when I get angry, I walk away from whatever I'm angry about. And then when I settle in, I come back. Actually, it was someone working on construction. He was trying to build something and he was getting frustrated. I think we've all dealt with that. And then he said, well, you know, when I'm angry, I would just walk away. My dad taught me, walk away. Then when I'm settled, I'll come back. Well, I, was, I, I heard that and I thought, that makes sense. I was actually changing a, we have a treadmill, you know, you run on this thing and, and the belt broke. So I'm trying to change this belt. And there's all these screws and things like that. Thank God for YouTube. You know, you go on YouTube and you just, how do you change a treadmill belt? And so I watched this thing and so I said, oh, easy, simple, a couple screws and that's it. Well, it wasn't that simple. And I'm trying to take this thing off. The problem was that the belt was too short. They sent the wrong size while well, I ordered the wrong part and I couldn't get it on. And I'm trying to get it on. And I, I'm ready to just break this thing. You know, you come to a point where you just want to slam it. And then, and then I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. I'm angry. Walk away. Just walk away. He's not bothering me. He's not going to go anyplace. He's fine. And I walk away, I, I you know, eat a snack. I, this my, I don't know what that's called, indulging on in your emotional things. So I get a snack and I settle in and then I come back out and I'm fine. And then I got to actually put the thing back together. And I thought, what happened? What was the difference? It was a realignment. You know what we normally do? We rip people's heads off. We just continue on in the anger and we go on and on and on. That's what Heidi tells me. She goes, why do you keep going on and on? Just enough already. I say, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm saying. She goes, I understand what you're saying, but you're angry right now. Go be with Jesus. So I don't like being Jesus right now. He's with us. He's telling you for listen to your husband. She's not here right now, so I can talk like that. You know, she's not here. Right and she'll say, you got to settle down enough already. But we keep going on and on because our anger gets the best of us. And after a while, the relationship has grown distant. That's where the power of an apology comes in. Because it's underlined with forgiveness. Sometimes we keep talking about the situation, hoping we'll find someone that will agree with us. And then when we find someone that agrees with us, it kind of gives us that feel-good about ourselves. It makes us feel better that someone agrees with us. But it may not necessarily be that they agree with you. Maybe they're trying to help. Maybe someone is trying to help us resolving this anger or frustration or unforgiveness. Maybe God is sending someone so that at least they listen to you. But it still haven't gone resolved. We'll say we're sorry, but we don't back it up with an action. See, sorry in itself can just be words. I've, I've had Heidi tell me, I'm tired of your sorries. She's said that before. And it made me think, yeah, I got to change some things. See, an, an apology that we give, it makes sense, doesn't it, to back it up with an action. It, it just makes sense. Because just to say I'm sorry doesn't have that power to it. 
Number two in your notes, can we just write this in? Back an apology with action. But what if I keep making the same mistake over and over? What if someone keeps making the same mistake over and over and over? I mean, and and, and what if they say, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm trying my very best. Is that acceptable? Is that something that we should say, okay, and then let it go? Because there are some relationships that are abusive and it's not a good situation. There's some relationships that are not good for you. And the person keeps saying, I'm sorry, I'll change. I'm sorry, I'll change. 20 years go by and no difference. Listen, if you're in a dangerous situation and you're seeking God and you're trying your very best to seek God, you're trying to seek help, you're receiving counseling, but you're in an abusive situation, you don't deserve that. Now, I prefaced it with you're getting counseling because sometimes... We're the problem. Now, this is separate from an abusive physical kind of problem because no one deserves to be hit. Sometimes it's a mental abuse and you're going through that. Get help because you cannot do this on your own. None of us can do life on our own. We need help. But there must be some kind of action that backs up the apology. Otherwise, it'll be just words. Matthew 3, 8, it says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. It's kind of like Jesus is allowing us to remember that it'll take some time before you get it right. But until then, keep working at it. There still must be some kind of a change happening on the inside. Now, if, you're, if, if there's someone that they're, they're a non-Christian, they don't know God, and they don't understand this, uh, uh, this forgiveness... And what it means to have the power of God and His Spirit, they don't know how to change. Like the song said, we're not strong enough. He's strong enough. You might very well be the one that leads that person to Jesus Christ. You just never know. But we can back up that apology with some action. It's kind of like paper money. It's worthless unless it's backed up by gold. Sometimes that's how people see our apologies, that it's worthless because it's not backed up by an action. Something needs to back up our apologies. You know, a sincere apology, you know that it's a sincere apology by what takes place and the actions thereafter. You will know if it's sincere because there's some changes that will take place. Will we make mistakes? Yes, we will. But kind of think of it as we have 100, uh, uh, 100 degree level of making a mistake. And then we say, I'm sorry. The next time we make a mistake, if it's still 100 degrees, something's wrong. It should be 99, then 98, 97, and it starts to cool down. There should be at least a degree down change. Otherwise, we use an apology as a license to continue on to do whatever we want to do. But that's not the heart of God. He wants us to be the kind of people who back up our apology with that action. Without the backing of our actions, apologies really have, it doesn't have as much value. In the book of Luke, it says, for every tree is known by its own fruit. Its own fruit. Sometimes what comes out of our lives 
we'll think it's someone else, but sometimes it's God just bringing to the surface what's already inside. And He'll use different circumstances to bring up what's inside so that we can change and be better for Him. Well, what are those things that that are fruits of, of the flesh? Because for mankind... We like, we like it when, when we can repay someone back. We like it when, when, when we can do to them what they did to us. It almost feels good sometimes when, when they wronged us, we wronged them back. And it can almost feel good. It's kind of natural for us to want vengeance. We want justice. And when not done our way, we choose our own way. And we actually produce fruit that is of the flesh and not of the spirit. And it actually shows what kind of tree we are. The question is, what kind of fruit have we been producing? Have we been producing the kind of fruit that is godly, of the spirit, or of the flesh? Listen to what it says when you, des- when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. The results are very clear, the Bible says, and it's not in your notes, but I'll read it. It's in Galatians 5.19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are this, are, are these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling or finding reason to argue, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension or disagreement, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. It says, let... Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you read that list and you think, well, what hope do we have? Uh, there's no hope. It's like, that's, that's our human nature. But then it continues and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And above such things, there is no law. Like there's nothing that can come against the fruits of the Spirit. Because it is God's Spirit who brings forth these fruits. And if that's been, been a part of our lives, then it shows that we have the tree of life in us. Because a tree is recognized by its fruit. Forgiveness is not the easiest thing in the world. But boy, I tell you, when that's something that we're working on and it's something that we apply in our lives, there's freedom in that. See, unforgiveness doesn't keep anyone at bay, doesn't keep anyone in prison, but the person who holds on to it. The person who holds on to unforgiveness, that's the one that's being destroyed. Yeah, but what about the person who said this or did this to me? What about that person who who behaves in this way? What do I do then? Do I just let them run all over me? No. You don't let them run all over you. But you don't have to let them imprison you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison thinking the other person will die. And we hang on to it. Remember this. Forgiveness sets me free. You can write that in your last point this morning. Forgiveness sets me free. There's a story in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is talking about forgiveness because Peter asked him the question, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? 
up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, up to seven times, 70 times. There's no limit. And Jesus said, I'll liken it to this. Like the kingdom of God is, is kind of like this. He said that a, a, a man owed a huge debt to his owner. And the owner came to receive payment and the man begged him. He said, please forgive my debt. I'll, I'll repay you. I'll, I'll get it sometime. And he says, nope, take this guy, take his wife, take his children, throw him in prison until every last penny is paid. And he begged his master. He said, master, please, no. And the master had compassion on him and forgave his debt. Didn't say, okay, you can do a layaway plan. Didn't say you can do payments. you just forgiven. And the man said, no, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And he goes out, he leaves. He finds someone who owes him like a tenth, maybe not even a tenth. Maybe one one one-hundredth of what he owed his master. Chokes his neck and says, pay every penny. And the guy does the very same thing he did. He gets on his knees and begs. And he says, nope, throw him in prison. Well, his master finds out and he says, what are you doing? I forgave you all that debt. Now you go to this guy who owed you like a couple pennies and you throw him in prison? How wicked are you? And then Jesus follows up with, and it's, it's in our scripture. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, trespass, you see the signs, no trespassing. It's like you wander off the road to a place you shouldn't be. We all wander. And God is saying, you've wandered away from me. You've drifted from me. You've went off the path of righteousness, but I've forgiven you. How about you do the same with other people? Now, there's two things that we can do. We can... If we've done something against someone, then we ask for forgiveness. If someone has asked us for forgiveness, and maybe you're not ready yet, maybe you need God's Spirit because you need that strength, then we give that forgiveness. Does that mean that that everything changes? No, there's some processing that happens. But you determine how long you're going to hang on to it. Sometimes we'll do something against someone and then we'll say, I forgive you for the way you acted toward me when I yelled at you. I forgive you. That's not the way it works. But we ask for forgiveness for our actions. Remember, an apology should be backed up by an action. Forgiveness sets me free. Let's not justify our behavior. Let's go with the truth of God. In our last scripture, in John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, he says, if any of you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, And you shall know the truth. And let's read this together. Ready, go. And the truth shall make you free. Unforgiveness imprisons us. His truth makes us free. Amen. Amen. You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. So on my time off, You know, as a husband, I'm sure, just like any husband, if you have time off, your wives have a a nice to-do list for you to do. And so we're cleaning out our garage. And as we're cleaning out our garage, uh, 
I found out there's a lot of things in there that we don't need. And so we started to, you know, look at things that we needed to throw away. And I started to throw away these, these uh, cans. And they're like the, you know, the army ammunition cans that you use to store things sometimes. And, and I was throwing those away. And, and Heidi said, um, you're going to throw that away? I said, yeah. I mean, we don't need them. She goes, but dad gave that to us. I said, oh, forgot about that. And her dad passed away about a little over two years ago. And she said, let's keep them. And, and I said, okay, let's keep it because it belonged to dad. It's something sentimental to us. And, and I said, but Heidi, we, we, I'm trying to clean out the garage. We got to throw away stuff. Because everything I'm asking you to throw away, you're saying, no, keep that, keep that. Let's not be hoarders. <laughs> can, we, can we start throwing things away? And she said, yeah, you're right. So let's start with your stuff. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I, I said, that's, that's pretty good of her to say that. And uh, yeah, you can applaud her for that because she set me up very well. But when she said that, I thought, that's the power of, a, of an apology. It starts with me because I'm cleaning stuff up. When I take the initiative and I start cleaning stuff out, nothing can stop what God wants to do through me because now I'm cleansed from the inside out. And that's the power of an apology. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us the ability and the strength to have this, uh, the strength to, to receive from you the, the, the kind of strength required when it comes to an apology. And so we ask for your help today that we would be people who not just understand an apology but that we align our hearts with you so that we can receive wisdom and strength and courage when it comes to the power of an apology we also Lord want to remember that it's, it's not just the words that we say but then the actions that a tree is recognized by its fruit what's on the inside that counts Lord help us to remember that that forgiveness sets us free And so if we're dealing with that right now, Lord, we release it to you. Give us the strength. We're not strong enough, Lord. But you are, and we can do all things through you who who gives us the strength. And so I pray for each person here this morning that as we deal with this unforgiveness, that we would understand the power of an apology. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all said, Amen.